0: And let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. So what was going through his mind? What was Jesus thinking when he passed through the streets of Jerusalem? Maybe he looked into the eyes of the cheering crowd and said, Now is the time. Now is my opportunity Maybe Jesus looked into their eyes and saw their hopes and their hunger. Maybe Jesus looked into their eyes and saw how deeply they believed in Him, and the message He was getting from them, go for it, now's the time, do it. We are tired of being beaten down. We are tired of political oppression and religious oppression. Now is the time. You can do it, Jesus. We can do it. You are our king. Let us rise up as one people and one voice and overturn the tables of oppression. Overturn the political power of Rome. Overturn the oppression of the church. Now is the time and we can do it. Rise up, King Jesus. You have our support. Oh, he could see it in their eyes. And now was the moment when he could seize power. As Jesus was entering from the eastern edge of Jerusalem, the Roman troops were entering on the western edge. The scenario that was unfolding could be a scenario that would change history. Jesus could mobilize those crowds. Jesus could mobilize that energy and potentially, potentially force out the Roman government and change the religious spectrum forever. It was a moment when Jesus could have seized power. So what was going through his mind? Overthrow the throne? Overthrow the church? No. His mind was at a very calm and centered place. The mind of Jesus on that day was a mind that was redefining power. Not power as they dreamed of it, and not power as they hoped for it. You see, Jesus did not deem equality with God as something to be exploited but instead became completely empty and took it all in. He had his opportunity. He could at that point become one who would coerce a new power. Instead, he took on the mind of a God who called him to a different place, a deeper place. Everyone was wanting him to take on outside power Instead, Jesus became centered in the inside power. They called him to force. Jesus called them to soul force. Walk with me, Jesus said, and take on my mind. As we see him parading through the streets of Jerusalem, we see our call to take on this mind that offers an entirely different voice to the world It's a mind that speaks to power, but not in the ways that we would assume. It's not about coercion. Instead, it's about living in a deeper, freer, more surrendered place. The mind of Christ is a mind that opens a journey. The mind of Jesus gave him the courage to speak the message of salvation, of healing and wholeness, no matter what the cost. The mind of Jesus opened his eyes so that he could see the people who were being put down or shut out by unjust practices and selfish ambitions on the part of others. The mind of Jesus led him to overturn the tables of the money changers in the temple. The mind of Jesus brought him to his knees before all the disciples so that he could wash their feet on the night of his betrayal. The mind of Jesus led him to the cross where he poured out his life. What becomes clear is the kind of mind that would change the world in ways that would last forever and not just for a moment or a season was a mind that had to find an anchor beyond ego. You see that crowd that day that was cheering? They were playing to human ego. They were trying to convince Jesus that he was powerful enough in a human way to change everything in ways that they could see and taste and feel and experience. And yet Jesus knew in the deepest part of his own heart that what the world really needed in a Savior was one who was not trying to lift himself up, one who was not trying to seize power, but rather one who was seeking to live from the inside out. And so Jesus came to them with a mind that was beyond ego. It was a mind beyond edging God out. It was a mind that refused to put God on the outside but rather invite God to the inside. It was a mind beyond ego, and therein was the power of Jesus. One of the things about Jesus is that he often tried to get his message across through story and through action. And Jesus knew as he worked with his disciples that they had some work to do to get beyond ego. In fact, on this particular day, their egos were probably in full force. They still had it in their heads that Jesus was going to seize political and religious power. And in their minds, they thought that they got to be a part of that. Now they figured that they had put down their nets for good cause. That they would be right there with Jesus going through the streets of Jerusalem. They imagined what that would be like. Who would be in front? Who would be on the side? Warriors alongside Jesus, taking on that mission, changing the world forever. They were so excited. They couldn't wait to seize the day, and they were ready for their mission. And in Mark 11, Jesus gives it to them. He says, here is your mission. Go and find a donkey. They were ready for a mission to change the world, and Jesus gave them donkey duty. (laughs) That's not what they were expecting. I mean, they were ready to do anything. They would do cartwheels down the street for Jesus. They'd been waiting for this day. They couldn't imagine what would happen as they were raised up alongside Christ. And yet in our gospel today, seven of the 11 verses has to do with donkey duty. Where to get it? Who to get it from? What to say about it? All this donkey stuff. You know, Scripture, I think, was being fairly graceful when it kind of left out some of the aspects of donkey duty that were probably a part of that day. But I'm sure one of them was carrying a shovel at least. Jesus called them to a humble task, saying, this is how real change happens. This is how the world is moved. In the simple things, in simple moments. It is action beyond ego. It's doing the dirty work. It's doing what needs to be done. Part of what Jesus is saying here is that ultimately the realm of heaven is built on those who are willing to change diapers and work with the children and help that person in and out of a car. The realm of heaven is built by those who are willing to pick up a hammer and a nail and put a roof on a Habitat for Humanity house. The realm of heaven is built by those who will Eagerly await those who come to receive food in the food pantry. The realm of heaven is built by those who are willing to walk across the gathering place to that person who is standing by themselves and say, hello. The realm of heaven is built by those who have chosen to live beyond ego and live instead in the very center of service. Oh, it's a lesson we're all learning together. I think sometimes we we have this idea that church work is just this glorious, glorious moment by moment engagement in ecstasy. (laughs) We wake up in the morning and we pray and we read our scriptures. Every person who comes during the week is here to tell about the majesty of God's work in their life and how wonderful it is ministries that are growing throughout the city and lives that are being changed that every moment we at resurrection are on tiptoe with transformation well the truth is after Hurricane Ike, we had an infestation of rats (laughs) so we spent a good part of our time talking about how we gonna deal with the rats (laughs) how are we gonna get rid of them how are we gonna get rid of that smell People don't want to come to church and have rats everywhere. (laughs) Remember one Monday, shortly after Hurricane Ike, I said, Janice, how was it yesterday for you? How was worship for you? Janice is our executive pastor, if you're new. And uh, she said, well, to be honest, I spent the entire day chasing rat poop. (laughs) I think that we came up with a title for a book actually Janice coined the title and we talked about it in board meeting and it was chasing rat poop as spiritually grounded people (laughs) we got rid of the rats took us a while but someone had to do it that's real life real people and a real god it's serving beyond ego with whatever happens to present itself in ministry. It's just going there. Being there. What was going through Jesus' mind as He paraded through the streets of Jerusalem and everyone was cheering and waving the palm branches and throwing down their cloaks? He was just saying, I want to be real. I'm there for you. There's a better way, and it starts here, and it's also here. It's laying ourselves down, not just our cloaks. It's opening ourselves and moving out of the way. Ego, it's edging God out. Jesus' mind was beyond ego. It's allowing God to grow beyond and through him in amazing and powerful ways. So let the same mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. A mind beyond ego. The second thing about Jesus' mind that becomes very clear in this scripture is that his mind was free. No one owned him. And no one could bring him down. First of all, his mind was free from praise. And as he looked out and saw those cheering crowds, he could have easily said, ooh, that feels good. I want some more of this. I want this praise to last forever. Instead, Jesus moved through that crowd in a very centered place, calmly. Not giving in to the cheers and the praise, but simply loving the people for who they were. He knew people well enough to know that those praises would probably turn to curses before it was all said and done. And so he just loved them. He was not out to impress anybody. He was not out to please anybody. So what does it mean to take on the mind of Christ? It means that we too begin to live in this centered place. Because the minute we take on the praise of people, we'll want some more of that. And we'll get hungry for it. And we'll do anything to achieve it, including selling our own souls. Making a deal with the devil for more praise. Everybody will begin to own us. And will not be free. And when the praises come, we'll feel good. And when the curses come, we'll feel lousy. And the reality is, at some point in our lives, we'll receive a little bit of both. But Jesus' mind was Free. Because he did not take on the praise. He lived beyond it. His mind was also free because the curses didn't bring him down. Later in that week, Jesus would begin to experience the full intensity of oppression, the full intensity of hatred. I've often wondered how could he stand that? How could he make it through that? He was hurting on the inside and the outside. He was able to move forward and fulfill his life calling because the curses couldn't bring him down. He knew who he was and he had that inner strength and he was free from what others would put on him. One of the great challenges we experience is being around toxic people. Without letting the toxicity in. To be free is to live in that place where we can minister to the pain around us without taking it on and taking it in. That's what Jesus could do. And that was what gave him his freedom to face the fullness of life from the highs to the lows. It was surrender, it was trust. So for us to take on the mind is to live in a place of incredible, incredible freedom, rooted in trust. John Venersal describes it this way, freedom is rooted in the trust that God will take the things of our hands and weave them into a future more gracious than the present. Freedom is rooted in the trust that it is ultimately God who lays it to heart that we have been faithful in at least some things. Freedom is rooted in the trust that God touches us gently and for Christ's sake makes harmless our mistakes. Freedom is rooted in the trust that whatever our limitations to stop the pain in the world, the future belongs to God. And that when we have done both our worst and our best, it is God who will create something new a future woven of both love and justice. As we begin this holy week, a simple invitation. See Jesus riding on that donkey through the streets, unmoved by the praise, undeterred by the curses. Simply moving moment by moment, surrendered, trusting, knowing he didn't have to try too hard. He didn't have to fit other people's expectations. He was simply called to be. To be free of the ego. To be free of expectations. And therein, to be salvation. Amen.